Can you run a successful financial services business focusing on the needs of just one narrow customer niche? You've heard Pete Chabborn talk on this podcast about his successful business model catering for the needs of all customers. Well, my guest today talks about how her business has been equally successful with its narrow niche focus. In this episode, you can hear how she has developed her focus on medical professionals and how you might also share in that success. That's right here in episode seven of the Marketing Protection and Finance podcast. Hi, it's Roger Edwards here and welcome to the Empath Podcast. This is the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. You can find the notes that go with the show at www.rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath. In the meantime, let's get on with the show and prepare to be inspired. I'm delighted to introduce my guest today, and she is Linda Cox. Linda Cox heads up a company called Practice Cover, a company she founded in 2009. Prior to that, Linda was head of product development at Scandia, and her biggest claim to fame was heading up the team which launched Scandia Protect on an unsuspecting world. So, Linda, welcome to the Empath podcast. Thank you, Roger. I'm delighted to be here. I'm very well. It's beautifully sunny in Southampton, as it always is on the uh, English Riviera. Very well, thanks. Before we get into our main discussion, let's just find out a little bit more about you. So tell everybody a little bit about your background so that we can get to know you and find out what makes you tick. I've been in financial services all my working life, which is a very, very long time. Um, I started in uh, a very old established insurance company and I was the first non-actuary in their actuarial department and they gave me lots of hard sums to do, which I quite enjoyed. Um, And then I worked for an IFA for a little while and then I moved to Scandia and I worked there for 22 years or so. Um, A very, very enjoyable period. Absolutely loved it. Um, and I left uh, because my children asked their father who the strange woman was who turned up every now and again. Um, and then a year or so later, I found myself running a locum insurance business. So it's been financial services beginning, middle and end, really. We really need to have a little bit of a chat about Scandia, Linda, because if you can remember back, and this must have been, what, the early 90s, 1991, 1992, you were the head of product development at Scandia. I was the product marketing manager at a company called Prolific Life and Pensions, which doesn't exist anymore. It became Scottish Provident later on. But we were involved in what I can only describe as critical illness wars. In fact, it's more, more likely it was dread disease wars at the time. Indeed it was, yes. And uh, I think, um, yeah, you were our biggest, um, the biggest thorn in our side because um, your products were always um, sort of uh, ahead, of the, ahead of the game and we were trying to do exactly the same. So I think we were, we were leapfrogging each other all the time. It was great fun. It was. And, and do, you, do you remember, 
I think we were about to launch a product. It might have been the 2nd of May, and everybody was geared up. This was a huge launch, so we got roadshows planned and marketing material planned. This new product called Self-Assurance was going to be unlaunched on the world. And then a week before, or maybe two weeks before, the Scandia product hit the market, and the adverts were in Money Marketing, Financial Advisor, all the trade press, and the headline was, it's what our competitors have been dreading. And I remember everybody at Prolific looked at that headline and it was, oh my God, somebody's got there before us. And I always remember that headline. It's what our competitors have been dreading. It was a dreadful moment for a company (laughs) that was about to launch a critical illness product to be pipped at the post like that. It was, yeah, and it was a fantastic moment for us. And actually, we won um, Financial Advisor Product of the Year, I think, that year. It was a a really good team of people that put together an excellent product, well priced. IFAs absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, it was a terrific time. We had, like you said, we had the road shows all over the UK. Um, it was terrific, actually, taking out something that people really wanted to hear about and really knew that there was a market for. Um, and they just uh, they just went out and sold it. And they either sold um, Prolific's product or our product or a couple of others um, that were lurking there. But I think that yours and ours were the sort of um, the epitome, if you like. And my view has always been um, I'd rather clients bought what I'm promoting. But if they don't and they buy something from somebody, then at least they're protected. And I still think that today. So, yeah, it was a great time. Let's move on to today's main discussion. And, and Linda, this is where we talk about a business model or a product launch or a new marketing campaign or simply a hot news story. And today we're going to be talking about locum insurance, which is your specialist niche, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it certainly is a niche product. Um, I'm not sure we could find something that's even more niche than this, really. Um, many people are unaware of its existence. Um, even the people for whom it's um, particularly uh, appropriate. So it's, it's pretty vital for GPs in particular, uh, but it's also got a place in the financial planning of any, any practitioner who needs a qualified person to tend t- to his patients if he can't work. So I'm thinking there of dentists, opticians, vets, that sort of person. Why is it vital for GPs, do you think? It's because GP practices are, are contracted to the CCG, uh, Clinical Commissioning Group, to provide medical care for how many thousand patients in their area. And the partners within that practice, who typically own the practice, will have a partnership agreement. So it's very much like any business that an IFA is used to dealing with. When there are partners involved, there should be a partnership agreement that sets out the terms of their contractual relationship. The agreement will identify who owns what and who's entitled to what. The agreement will also usually say that if one of the GP partners is unable to work, the practice will fund a locum to cover for him or her for up to four weeks and that after four weeks, locum insurance has to be in place. Now, if you've got a GP partner who's working full time, so that's eight sessions a week and a session is a morning or an afternoon, then a locum would generally cost about £2,000 a week, but roughly um, locums are costing somewhere around £220 to £250 per session. I've gone up to, I've had, the highest I've ever heard is £320 a session. So that shows you just how much the practice would have to pay to bring in someone to cover for a GP if the GP can't work. So it doesn't take Brain of Britain to work out that a few weeks of illness or absence uh, through an accident 
um, on the part of a GP could hit the practice quite badly financially. What happens if the practice didn't want to bring in a locum? Is that is that usual? Yeah, it's often the case that a practice will choose not to bring in a locum. Some practices say categorically they would never use a locum. Um, they think locums are a liability. I was talking to a GP on Saturday, actually, and he said um, they're a complete um, nightmare because they never know where anything is. They never know what the staff are called. And all they ever do is tell the patient to come back next week when there'll be a proper doctor in place. So those practices really don't like locums. Other practices are perfectly happy using locums. But in any event, with our insurance, you don't have to bring in a locum. What we say is if Dr. Bloggs is insured for, say, £2,000 a week, then that's what will get paid to the practice regardless of whether they bring the locum. So what happens there is Dr. Bloggs goes off sick and the money's paid to the practice and they can then choose. They can bring in a locum to cover for him or they can use that money to reimburse colleagues who have to work extra hours. It's entirely up to them. We have nothing to do with that discussion. We simply pay them the money and they get on with it. Wouldn't a practice just buy income protection cover for this sort of thing? Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But the reason that income protection is the wrong recommendation is that the practice agreement that I referred to earlier on will also say that if a partner is unable to work for 52 weeks, then the partnership gets dissolved. So that means the practice only needs insurance, which is going to pay out for a maximum of 52 weeks. Income protection, as you you well know, that will pay out until either 60 or 65, whatever age um, the the client has um, set it up for. And it's costed accordingly. So it boils down to, uh, we don't provide recommendations within our company, but it boils down to the, the GP should have income protection. Um, to protect his um, personal um, expenditure and keep his family going, his mortgage and all that sort of thing. But the locum insurance is a separate entity. It's used to protect the practice and it pays out for a maximum of 52 weeks because that ties in with the partnership agreement that should be in place. Okay, it's a very, very interesting concept. And I have to say, I hadn't really understood the difference between the need for income protection here and the need for locum insurance. I think it, I've always thought that income protection on its own would be enough. But mm-hmm. obviously, this mm-hmm. does open up an opportunity for this specialist form of locum insurance. What gave you the impetus to start this uh, business, Linda? What was the, uh, the moment that you began to think this is where I want to focus my marketing attention? Um, it was after I left Scandia, um, and it was through somebody I, I, I knew um, via, via Scandia who was doing a similar sort of thing, and it appealed to me. I, I got to know a fair bit about the market through him and about the products that were out there, and the more I looked at it, the more I thought, crikey, this is it's a product that's stuck in the dark ages. These policies are usually underwritten at Lloyd's, and I just thought I could do this, and I could bring my... Um, Scandia product development experience to bear on it and I could make this a lot better than it than it is at the moment um, and I was sort of thinking along those those lines um, but a bit anxious about the prospect of setting up a business to do it and I was talking to a good friend of mine who established and now heads up a large successful charity and she did it, did it all from scratch and she just said to me well why can't you do it and it was those simple words that and I just thought, yeah, why can't I do it? And so I did. 
I think sometimes you just need to have that uh, conversation, don't you? Somebody Mm. will point out to you what is actually quite obvious. Um, And what you have done here is you've identified a niche. And yes, you have competitors, and and no doubt we'll talk about those competitors later on. But you've identified a niche, done what any business person would do, written a business case, put together a marketing plan, launched a business, and now it's working and it's really successful. But... Mm. There are challenges that we all face in getting businesses off the ground. What challenges did you face, Linda, in getting this initiative off the ground, and how did you overcome them? Well, the the first thing you've you've got to have is a product that's better than anything else out there. With Lloyd's products, they're quite staged, they're quite pedestrian, or they were then. So my challenge, and it really wasn't that much of a challenge, was to try and make the product better. So to look for other things that doctors need to be insured for. So back then, um, doctors weren't insured for anything other than absence from work due to illness or accident. But um, doctors used to be exempt from jury service, and they no longer are. So they can call, be called just like you or I. So they need cover for that. They also need cover if they're suspended from practice. And then it was taking it to market. And you wouldn't believe, when I first um, started this, there was no um, locum insurance policy that you could um, quote for online. Now, we're not talking about many years ago at all. We're talking about five, six years ago. And you just You're not saying that people still had to look up a rate and no, multiply yes. it by a factor and then write it or type, have it typed up by the typing pool. Well, yeah, it's not, it wasn't far off that. You had to phone. You then had to... Um, speak to um, an underwriting agency, they would go through to the Lloyd's underwriter. They would email you back a quote, but you couldn't actually key in the numbers and get um, it squirted straight back to you on your screen. Um, It just didn't work like that. Um, And you certainly couldn't apply for cover online. I mean, that was complete no-no. So there were those sorts of issues to try and overcome as well. Um, But really, if you've got a product development background and you like dealing with that sort of thing, which I do, then it's meat and drink to me, really. Um, I talk to a lot of doctors and dentists and IFAs and underwriters, pull together what they thought the market needed, and um, and that was the product that um, that we launched. And what, what are the features of the product that you've got out there, Linda? Well, these policies um, are general insurance policies, um, and they're annually renewable. So that means that if somebody makes a claim, that claimed for illness will be taken into account at the next renewal date and that it's likely that further recurrences of that claimed for illness will be excluded. So the policy will be modified in the light of experience on a year-by-year basis. That's what always happens with general insurance. I felt that um, doctors would prefer a permanent insurance, which means that um, claims that they make or changes in their health won't affect the cover. So they have, with me, a choice. And we were the first company to offer a choice of either annually renewable cover or permanent cover. You might wonder why anybody would want the annually renewable. I've spoken to countless doctors over the years and some of them will say that they like the annually renewable cover a because it's cheaper and b because they've reached an age where if they were repeatedly off ill then they would throw in the towel they're out i'm out of here and they would just resign take their pension and go so they don't need a permanent policy they don't need to pay the higher premium for a permanent policy for a job that they really don't consider to be permanent any longer. The other side of the coin, generally the younger doctor, um, is the person who says, I've just taken seven or eight years to qualify. I'm in this for the long haul and I need to make sure that I'm 
properly protected. So I will buy a permanent insurance and that will mean that if I'm off sick this year and I'm off sick next year, and I'm off sick the year after. The policy cannot be altered to my detriment. The insurance cannot be taken away from me. I can't have exclusions put on the policy based on the claims that I've made. So they're perfectly happy to pay the higher premium for the permanent cover because they know that they've got that long-term safeguard. What you're really doing, just offering choice. To you, that would seem to be absolutely obvious. Of course you would do that. But in the Lloyd, Lloyd's market, um, up until not that long ago, there was very little choice on these sorts of products. It paid out um, for accident and illness, and if you made a claim, that was it, goodbye, and that doesn't happen anymore. It feels as if it, it, it would be quite a, uh, a tough call to go up against Lloyd's of London in this way. I, I, don't, I didn't see it as going up against them, but I'll tell you uh, something I thought was quite amusing. Um, when I designed my first locum insurance product, and from my um, Scandia background, I put together probably a 50-page product development um, spec, which contained all the um, systems development that I needed as well. And I sent it off to Lloyd's. It took them six weeks to sign it off, and it came back, and the only comment they made, and this is absolute gospel, the only comment they made was that Lloyd's has got an apostrophe in it. <laughs> For somebody who hates apostrophe abuse, I can probably sympathise with them, but seriously, is that all they could manage? My goodness. It did mean that I could just go with what, what, I'd, um, what I'd developed, and we've moved on quite a bit from there. What's the one big idea out of the experience you've had setting up this locum insurance business that you would like those people listening to this Empath podcast to take away from the experiences that you've had? Yeah, if you've, if you've got a, a, a good idea, you've done the research, you know that there's a market for it, you can price it so that people will buy and that you can make a business out of it, um, then go for it. The fact that it hasn't existed so far shouldn't stop you. In fact, that should be the thing that encourages you to continue, you know, going forward with it. Of course, as long as the whole thing is, is viable. Do you think there's, a, there's a, a feeling in the marketplace in general, and not just in specialist areas like uh, we've just been talking about, that advisors are maybe wanting to look at developing their own products rather than relying upon the bigger providers, you know, the Scandias and the Scottish Providence and the Avivas, and actually saying, no, I know that my clients need a specific type of product. I'm actually going to go out like you did and source that product. I think there are instances where um, advisors have a, have a really good idea of a product that their clients might need. Um, the problem is, and we used to get this at Scandia sometimes, people would come along to us, uh, to us with an idea and you think, cracky, that, that really has got some legs to it. But when you looked into it more, it didn't have enough to justify a big company diverting its resources into what was almost inevitably a fairly niche area. So big companies almost sort of talk themselves out of dealing with any sort of niche product. So it therefore need, it needs, in a lot of cases, it needs small people like me to think, right, I'm going to focus on this particular area. I'm going to go all guns blazing. We're going to do nothing else. We're going to be completely targeted. And we can put all our resources into it. And you'll get more oomph behind it because it's a small company doing it rather than a big company that's got lots of plates to spin where they end up um, you know, paying lip service to it 
because they've got too many other things on their agenda. So you've developed the locum insurance, you've influenced Lloyds of London, and obviously it's a particularly customer-focused thing that you've done because you've talked to doctors and practices in order to come up with the features that, that meet their needs. And this is one of the main areas I like to highlight on the Empath podcast. It's that customer focus. So, Linda, what would you say is particularly customer-focused about your proposition? I think, well, with my product, because it's so specific... And if you focus on GP partners, again, um, they make up about um, 80 to 90 percent of, of my clients. Unless they're never going to get ill, never have an accident, never be summoned to a jury service, never be suspended from practice, all of which we ensure, then their practice will incur potentially significant costs to keep the practice going while the doctor can't work. I'll give you an example. I've met um, a number of doctors. I met yet another one on Saturday at a conference um, who said that um, she didn't need local insurance because they had been saving up a pot of money. Now, I've heard this before. Um, they've been saving up a pot of money. I met one in Cumbria. Uh, there was a six-doctor practice. Um, they'd saved up for 20 years, and they'd got £40,000. And this was their pot that they would use if a doctor went off long-term sick this would fund a locum. And I said to him, right, OK, so that would be wiped out by one doctor going off for four, five, six months. Then what are you going to do? And he looked at me horrified and stomped off. And I thought, oh, dear. Whoops. Um, then he phoned me and the practice has now bought locum insurance in place uh, in, with us. And what's more, they've now got £40,000 nest egg that they can go and have a party with. <laughs> so they've taken 20 years to save that up and they've now got insurance and their insurance is costing about 3500 a year. Um, so it's, it's just one of those simple mathematical yes. uh, calculations, isn't it? But people often need it to be pointed out to them. And again, if if you're selling normal protection insurance to families, they'll often say, well, I've got a couple of grand saved up. Yeah. I don't need insurance. Yeah, but that couple of grand's only going to last you a month or, okay. or less. Okay. Uh, it, it's surprising how how people need to be reminded of some of these really basic things yeah one of your previous um, interviewees talked about the um, seven families initiative um, i think lucian was talking about it and i, I really hope that works um you know, because it's it will bring her if it works it will bring home to people um that you've got to look after yourself you have to um you, you owe it to yourself you owe it to your family um, and it often doesn't cost as much as you think that's one of the things i say to doctors all right, how much is your locum insurance going to cost? And they, you know, if I put them on the spot, they'll come up with a number. And our cost is often way less than the number they come up with. So, you know, that's a reasonable starting point. <laughs> the reality is they probably <laughs> absolutely no idea how, yeah. much it cost, how much yeah. it will cost until they ask you. Absolutely. So, Linda, what's worked well and not so well with your business? And tell us how you've modified your approach as a result of feedback. Well, we get about 40% of our business from IFAs um, and the rest comes in direct. I didn't think that we would get as much as we get from IFAs. I'm glad that we do um, because an IFA who has a GP as a client who doesn't have locum insurance in his armoury is going to be exposed when the next IFA comes along and does talk locum insurance to the practice. Um, and what we find is that um, we do quite a lot of um, work alongside the IFA through the recommendation process to help 
him or her get the um, the right recommendation to, to their client. So we've we spend a lot more time supporting IFAs than I um, anticipated that we would. As far as promoting our business is concerned, we started with quite a lot of print advertising, um, but that really got us nowhere. Um, I wish I'd known that before I spent all the money, but there you go. What's worked particularly well for us is sponsoring GP conferences. Uh, we go to a lot of them. Goodness knows how many as a company we've um, we've sponsored over the years. Uh, we've got another one coming up um, this Saturday. We did one last Saturday. Uh, they're always on Saturdays because that's when um, doctors uh, are, are free, clearly. Um, and they're getting used to seeing us there. And um, they see, keep seeing us popping up and um, they'll come over and have a chat. And they know our logo. They know what we do. And they started recommending us to friends. And we even get calls. I had one last week where a doctor said, um, oh, I got your card in um, November 2002. I need my local insurance now. So, you know, they hang on to the card and they do follow it up. So conferences have worked well. Print advertising, not so well. Um, and supporting IFAs has, um, has worked very well for us as well. And it sounds like a lot of hard work. I mean, all these conferences obviously eat into your personal time, being at the weekends. And you've already said to me in the green room before we actually pressed uh, record on this that you spend a lot of time travelling around the country to visit the GPs and talk them through the propositions. So what are the rewards for all this hard work and investment? Tell us about the results that you've achieved with your business. Um, the rewards have to be when somebody makes a claim. Um, I think our underwriters, uh, they, they prefer no claims, but yeah, we've had quite a range of different claims um, from the doctor who fell over her dog lead and broke her wrist so she couldn't work. A number of cancer claims uh, with long term um, absence from work. We've had um, a doctor who was off for nine or ten months with a, a bad back. Um, we've had a jury service claim as well. Um, so when you have that range of claims, first of all, that's good because it, the proof of the pudding has to be in the eating and people want to know that you make um, you, you pay out on claims. Uh, but it also demonstrates the range of claims. And a lot of doctors, they're like you and I. I'm not going to be ill. I don't need insurance. OK, but you might fall over your dog lead <laughs> or you might, as one of our other doctors did, he came off his motorcycle and um, ruptured his spleen and rearranged a few ribs. Uh, he was off for uh, about nine, ten weeks. Um, so, you know, these things happen to you. Uh, you might think they're not going to, but they do happen to you. And the more claims you have, the more stories you've got to tell exactly. to the next set of clients about how important this insurance is. Exactly. What's also really good is um, we're now in our fifth year. We haven't had to increase our premium rates in all of that time. Um, and I think that's a testament to the quality of the product and the pricing and the terrific support that we get from our underwriters. Um, with a, a general insurance product like this, you can't guarantee premiums. But uh, I want IFAs and clients who place their business with us to feel confident that we are a company that's stable. Um, I know that... Nobody likes unpleasant uh, shocks at renewal time. You know, you, you get your motor insurance or your house insurance renewal through and you look at it and you think, oh, it's gone up again. I've done nothing wrong and it's gone up again. Um, we don't do that. Um, we've kept the price stable for five years. And in fact, um, those clients who are fortunate enough not to make a claim, they get a no claims discount from us as well. So I can honestly say there is not one client 
who this year is paying us one penny more than they did last year or the year before for their insurance. Um, and that, that makes the happy clients as well. This has been a fascinating discussion, Linda. Really interesting product line. Really interesting to learn how you've developed it over the years with Lloyds of London and how you've interacted with the GPs out there to create a really good proposition. What would be the one most important thing you've learned from this business model that you'd like our listeners to remember for their own business success? Well, um, we're probably preaching to the converted, really, because your audience is IFAs, but... I would say um, running your own business is flipping hard work, but it sure beats working for anybody else. So thank you, Linda, for such a fascinating (laughs) insight into your business. Before we go, though, I always like to finish the Empath podcast with a quick fire round of business questions. Are you happy to stay on just for a little longer? Yes, well, yeah, yeah. If there was one thing that you could change about the financial services industry, perhaps by waving the proverbial magic wand, what would it be? Well, I think we've touched on it already, really. It's got to be the way that um, insurance is regarded by the, the man in the street. I would love people to understand just how valuable it is. I mean, in a small way, we're doing our bit, putting out our claims stories. But there's a, a lot of people who work hard in our industry to make policies relevant, to keep costs down, to make it easy for people to buy and so on. And if only people put aside just a few quid a week, it could save so much hardship. My Children have been indoctrinated into insurance and financial services from a very early age. And one of the first things my daughter and her husband did when they had their child was to buy a big life insurance policy. I was absolutely delighted when she did it because that just showed that having told her about insurance since the age of about four, she'd got it, she understood it, and she thought it was a good deal, and off she went and bought it. And I just wish that, you know, it would be great if other people did that as well, wouldn't it? I now have this image where all the children of the uh, country are playing on Xboxes (laughs) or they're out with their friends. Your children are inside (laughs) with their quill pens writing out their insurance ledgers. I can remember coming home late at night and going in to tuck my daughter up. My husband had already put her to bed. And I went in and she she said to me, have lots of people had policies today? (laughs) (laughs) She must have been about six. Poor child. She's been scarred for life. Oh, dear. What is the one business model, product campaign that's caught your attention the last year? Even if it was from a competitor, tell us what it was and what you liked about it. One thing I've noticed a lot is all the betting advertising, um, and it really concerns me that a fairly fringe pastime is now being normalised to such an extent. Um, and I'm, is this really what people should be doing with their money? Um, you know, you, you can't dictate what people do, but I just think if you keep ramming this, you know, how easy it is to bet down people's throats, then um, people are going to do it, and there may be people that perhaps shouldn't be doing it. Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life and to your business. Um, well, I'm not a very gadgety person, really. Um, you, you were just talking about my children sitting there with their quill pens. I'm not far off that myself. Um, but um, I was um, given a sat-nav a few years ago by my husband. I was absolutely horrified that he gave this present to me. I like presents that have got diamonds. And, they've got <laughs> and I got um, a sat-nav from him and was horrified because I travel all over the country and I can do it with maps and I don't need a sat-nav. 
When I got to grips with this thing, I realised it was absolutely wonderful. And I've now, of course, got all the sat-nav stuff on my iPhone. And I love my iPhone and I love my sat-nav. And it's um, half phone will travel, really. So, yeah, I travel all around the country seeing IFAs and GPs. And um, I'd probably not see quite so many if I didn't find my way there with my iPhone and my sat-nav. Of course, we have to realise that there are GP practices in some of the most obscure and hard-to-find places in the UK, so I can see how the sat-nav is absolutely essential. And finally, Linda, what is the best business book you've ever read? Tell us why you like it so much and what you took from it. I read How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I found on my Kindle. Um, I couldn't believe that it's nearly 80 years old. And it was... Apart from it was really entertainingly written and there were loads of stuff in it that I thought, oh, crikey, I should be doing that. I started making a list and this list ended up with about 55 points that I should follow in the next meeting that I had. So, of course, that's not going to work. When I rationalise it down to about two or three, maybe it'll, um, it'll work for me. But at the moment, I'm, it's, a, it's a work in progress, I think. I think you've won quite a lot of friends and influenced quite a lot of people just by developing practice cover, if truth be told. <laughs> Oh, that'd be nice. Before we sign off, Linda, tell everyone how they can connect with you, either on Twitter or LinkedIn or or your website. Well, our website, www.practicecover.co.uk. Um, there's um, an IFA area on it or um, IFAs can just give us a call, 023-8051-3286. And we're on Twitter, um, at Practice Cover. And I've got my own LinkedIn page. We don't have a company LinkedIn page yet, but um, I, we will do when I get round to it. Linda, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been really interesting. And let me wish you every success in the future and hope to catch up with you again really soon. And you, Roger. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast, also known as the Empath Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at www.rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash empath for links to the apps and the books and the topics we've discussed today. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be really grateful if you would leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit www.rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a comment. If you are a provider, advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you want to talk about, do please get in touch. I'd be delighted to have you as a guest on the Empath Podcast. And before we go, just to remind you that nothing that my guests and I talk about on the show is intended to be financial advice of any kind. It's just our thoughts and opinions. Okay? Okay.